0: Welcome back to the KPBS Cinema Junkie podcast. I'm Beth Accomando. I just survived three glorious, horrific days at the Horrible Imaginings Film Festival in San Diego and I have a few things I want to share. First of all, let me offer a big congratulations to Miguel Rodriguez. He moved to a new venue this year at the Museum of Photographic Arts in Balboa Park, expanded the festival, kicked it up a notch, and delivered a great time for everyone. And he really delivered on his mission statement, which is to push the envelope on how we define the horror genre. Films ran the gamut from splatter gore comedy to reflective personal narratives about real-world horrors. And kudos to the audience for being open to such a diverse range of films. And there was a decent-sized core audience who stayed for everything. I had a chance to speak with two young filmmakers whose work shows exciting promise and wildly different approaches to filmmaking. Eric Unsumanji is a UCSD student filmmaker who comes from Tanzania. And Gigi Saul Guerrero hails from Mexico but now lives in Canada both had film screening at Horrible Imaginings. Eric's film, My Mother's Songs, challenges viewers with a slow pace and poetic non-linear narrative that leaves lots of time for reflection as he reveals stories of personal horror from his home country of Tanzania. Gigi, on the other hand, is enamored with extreme horror and splatter gore, and for her short, El Gigante, she served up what she calls Texas Chainsaw Massacre, but luchador style. Her production company is aptly named Lucha Gore. I spoke with both filmmakers during the very brief breaks at the horror-packed festival that screened at MOPA. This is the first year at MOPA, and it's a gorgeous theater, but the real challenge is to watch 12 hours of film with no food and only water allowed in the theater. So here are my interviews with these young filmmakers who represent the future of filmmaking.
1: Hi guys, my name is Eric Msumanje. I am at the Horrible Imaginings Film Festival and I just showed my uh, short film and, uh, called uh, My Mother's
0: Songs. <laughs> So My Mother's Songs is not what you would conventionally call a horror film. So talk a little bit about screening your film here and how you think it is appropriate that it showed here.
1: First of all, I'd like to thank Miguel for uh, giving me this uh, unique opportunity to show my film here uh, because as a filmmaker, I've always uh, struggled to, or particularly with this film, of, 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 of kind of... Or rather, it's been a journey to figure out, one, which genre it fits in, and two, which festival would accept this kind of film that doesn't quite fit a genre. Um, So it was really exciting to show it at this festival with the new, uh, I guess, uh, uh, Horror for Humanity uh, Showcase, Um, because uh, for me, it showed that it can live in this kind of space, because uh, just. The the genre of horror itself isn't, it's a lot more complex than what people usually think what horror is and uh, I think that's why it fits uh, in this festival.
0: And explain what your film is about.
1: Pretty much it's a collection of stories that are situated in my home country of Tanzania and they uh, look at intergenerational trauma through the uh, voices of several young women.
0: Again, this is a notion of not a conventional sense of horror but It's all stories that come from the real world, and it's horrific things that are happening in the real world. So how did you want to tackle this in a film?
1: The way I tackled these stories is through the approach and style. It's with the image, it's with the narration, it's through the music, through the soundscape. That is how I was able to tackle the situations and uh, experiences that are in the film. Is, it was through the, 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 the things I mentioned. And also uh, playing with the rhythm and the pacing of the film and playing with uh, the shadows and, and, and use of lighting. Uh, that's how I was able to just even begin to tackle those real-life experiences.
0: Now, we live in this kind of fast food society where everything tends to come at you very quickly, and a lot of films tend to... There's fast cutting and fast narrative, Mm -hmm. and this really challenges that. The pace of it is very slow. It doesn't announce right off the bat what kind of a film it is or where it's going. So how did you want to kind of structure this and pull the audience into the story?
1: Well, I think ultimately the goal was wasn't about creating a a, a traditional film that has, like, a beginning, middle, or an end, but rather uh, it's more about you willing to be patient and you willing to let things unfold in front of you, whether or not you understand them, but at least if it triggers something within you. That was, I guess, I'm not sure if I answered your question, but... That that was the goal, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Well, what I really loved about the film is the fact that because the pace is slower and there are moments when the images are all very still, uh, there are pauses in the dialogue, there are moments even when there's nothing on screen at all, and you get something that's rare in movies today, which which is a moment to, like, reflect right. and contemplate, mm-hmm. and I think that was really impactful.
1: Thank you, thank you, thank you. Yeah, 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 that's... um. I think that was necessary to tell the kinds of stories that are in this film, because if it was too fast, it wouldn't have worked. If it was too, too slow, uh, I don't think it would have had the same kind of impact. And that also just comes from me being out in Tanzania and filming. Uh, Originally, I was thinking of having it shot, like, in a really chaotic urban space, and I thought, no, this wouldn't work. Uh, It's too loud. It's too fast it doesn't have the same kind of weight and heaviness as uh, a lot of the locations that I shot in were, which were in the countryside of Tanzania. It's a place and a space where you can breathe, you can reflect. And in order to deal with those things that I dealt with, you need to be able to breathe. You need to be able to reflect. Uh, You need a space to do that. And if it was fast uh, or situated in a, a, a urban and chaotic environment, that wouldn't have been possible, I don't think.
0: It's not a conventional narrative but there's a there's storylines that are running through it and kind of moods that are running through it. And it slowly builds but it's a lot of what I would call kind of intimate tales of violence. It's not this big sense I mean everything that's talked about feels very very personal and yeah. intimate. So right. this isn't a documentary. Right not everything in it is true. So talk a little bit about the sources for these stories that are coming out in your film.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, originally, originally, I've always wanted to shoot a film in my home country of Tanzania. Uh, I just didn't know how. And also, with that said, I didn't want to do it in a in a, I guess, stereotypical sense of uh, Africa. You know, typically when you watch television or you read the paper, it's always like this this place of despair, this place that needs help. And uh, I didn't, I didn't want to do that. Um, I wanted to, to still tell a very heavy story, but in a in a in a, in a very different way. So, uh, with that said, um, these stories are actually influenced by my own personal life experience. They're also uh, influenced by uh, uh, stories within my family, um, originally, um, or what also kind of triggered the idea was uh, me interviewing family members. And then with that, my own interests in, or also just research uh, that looks at uh, colonial violent histories on the African continent, but particularly uh, East Africa and more so Tanzania. And then when you narrow that down uh, within my own family, which is where the whole intergenerational trauma uh, part comes in. Um, So all of that brought this film together. And uh, that's also why it's like, fiction and nonfiction because I took uh, snippets of real life stories and then I, I created a, a narrative around that. And uh, like I said before, or I mentioned elsewhere, uh, it's almost, I see the narrative as like a long letter. Yeah, that's, that's how I, 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 I see it, as a, as a long letter. Um, a letter isn't easy to write, especially like in this fast food world, you know, and it takes a lot of uh, thought you got to be willing to take risks to light, uh, to write a letter e- even if you're not quite sure what the results are um so uh with this process my mother's songs in Kiswahili it actually uh, when you translate uh when you translate that it's uh wimbo za mama uh, Zangu. yeah yeah it, it was just that's yeah it was just me writing a letter and then it turned into this film and here we are <laughs> yeah.
0: well and it has a real sense of poetry to it yeah. because it's not it's not what you would conventionally call a dramatic film, and it doesn't build to like these melodramatic or emotional climaxes. Mm-hmm. But there are moments where the description is really powerful and conjures up something that conveys a sense of what is going on. I think there's a couple of moments, but one is when the in the voiceover narration, a, a character is saying that I took a shovel and I started to dig... Mm-hmm with the purpose of burying myself. Mm -hmm. And in that simple sentence, it really conveys a sense of such extreme Mm -hmm. sense of, like, hopelessness or pain Mm -hmm. that that's the only thing to do. So there are moments like that where you really, very quietly, you convey these powerful images. So talk a little bit about writing some of that.
1: Yeah, um, so I guess the first—it's not an issue, but the the interesting thing that I had to do was— Moving back and forth between Kiswahili and English, as you know, some words in Kiswahili or English have different uh, they have different weights and impacts. The main goal in general about writing or uh, when I was writing this stuff was how do I say the most using the least amount of words or just narration in general, um, and then how do I by saying the most, how do I show you, not tell you, show you what that is, and then have have you see it right that was also possible with kiswahili because it's really uh it's a really poetic language, just even when when you say a word uh it just it, 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 it can mean so many things mm-hmm. um and so that's that's how um and it does have like a poetic format to it that was the other part too was well how do I take something really complex like these really traumatic experiences and issues and then bring it down but still have the same impact Um, so that that was the writing process and so first I would uh I know it's interesting sometimes I'd write I write in Swahili then in English then I would scratch that because it's it's a different feeling when you write in different languages I don't know like sometimes that kind of leads into like you know what happens when you watch the film without subtitles you know does it have the same power does it have the same feeling does it ask more questions? Does it ask less questions? I'm not sure. <laughs> the writing was also connected to shooting. Sometimes I would just shoot stuff, take the footage, and then write whatever came to mind. Or sometimes I would write, then shoot. So it was a, a lot of back and forth. Uh, but it wasn't a lot of, like, I wasn't writing, like a, you know, like, a short story. You know, sometimes it was just a word. I would go off of a word. And from that, I would really pick that word and say, okay, well, what does this word make me feel? What does this word make me think of? And then I would think about, uh, well, what would would it make a viewer feel this way? Would it not? Um, so, yeah, it was, it was a lot of that kind of stuff.
0: Now, you're a young filmmaker. Yes. Your film was screened at UCSD. And in talking about it, it seems like you were going through a lot of experimentation in terms of how you wanted to put it together. So now that it's done and you've had people react to it, how do you feel about some of the decisions you made?
1: That is a good question. The simplest way I can answer that question is things just kind of fit. Things just kind of worked. I'm I'm sure other artists or creative people or just people in general experience this. Uh, There's moments in your life where things just connect and This beautiful thing happens. So, I don't think I would change anything because the way it happened was just so organic and real, and it was coming from a really meaningful and deep place and a real personal uh, place, too. So, I was really invested in it. But sometimes I imagine, you know, what would have happened if maybe I had a bigger crew because this I worked with uh, in the film, it's non professional actors and a non professional crew. This gave me. A lot more access to the neighborhoods people were just a lot more invested in the storytelling sometimes I I think about uh, what if this was like a traditional narrative you know how would it look in that way you know what if like the actors or performers had lines what if what if it was daytime what if the viewer had access to other parts of the narrative world you know because the camera is very still It's very minimal lighting, believe it or not. In some of those shots, it's literally uh, flashlights, you know, because I was in these locations where there was no electricity. So I had to really improvise. Yeah, yeah. So like stuff like that. that, Those are the kinds of things I I think about. But the the narrative, the story was just, I, I feel like it was solid.
0: In terms of the reactions you've gotten from people, are they reacting in ways that you feel like they got what you were trying to say, and that makes you feel satisfied with the decisions you made?
1: Right. Um, well, first of all, what's exciting for me is uh, when I you know go to like a festival like this and seeing the people that I work with on screen, that just it just makes me really, really happy because simply put, tanzan it's, it's, it's almost like two different worlds, so like whenever I'm in a festival or something i I call back to Tanzania and let them know that hey our film, your film that you worked hard on, our film is on a big screen, but like they can't they've never been to a movie theater like that before you know so that's 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 the part that's really exciting and then um another part is uh it's just really awesome to uh, I, I don't know it's, it's, it's magical um, uh, uh, to, to, to see an audience uh, uh, get to experience this kind of story, and it, it, it always reminds me of when I first went to a movie theater. This was I was in Tanzania, and how magical it just brings me back to that feeling. And I hope people experience that. Um, and even though I guess my mother's songs is quote unquote like it always brings me that like that magical feeling. And I think that's what movies are all about, you know? Yeah, yeah.
0: All right. Well, thank you very much for speaking with me.
1: Thank you so much. Yeah, this was fantastic. Yes.
0: <laughs> so, Gigi, you just took home a couple of awards. So how does that I, feel? Oh, it
1: feels
2: so cool. You know, it's just really cool being nominated. And, But, I mean, awards are awards. The coolest thing is just... Showing your film, right, and hearing the audience react, I think, is the best reward as a filmmaker. But, yeah, no, I mean, an award it does feel pretty cool. So I took home uh, Best Director for El Gigante, and my makeup artist took Best Special Effects for El Gigante. So we're really excited.
0: There aren't a lot of women directing horror, and probably even fewer that are directing horror that has
2: gore in it. So <laughs> Extreme did, gore. Yeah,
0: so how did you get into this?
2: Uh, you know, ever since a kid, gore always, I don't know, it always impacted me so much and I liked being grossed out. I liked the thrill of watching. I mean, I, I'll i tell you something. I, I really liked watching as a kid surgeries on TV. I watched it religiously after school. It was a thing I liked to watch and Pokemon. I mean, it was the surgeries on TV that I would just watch as if it was episodes every day. There's just something about the gore that just I don't know it just it always made me have so many questions about how it worked but I never expected to be a filmmaker until much later but yeah I think it was always there that little weird dark side of me was always hiding. At one of the screenings you talked about the supernatural your films are not
0: really supernatural they are gore but you talked about the supernatural playing a part in your life and that that really scares you to a degree and that you don't wanna make films about that. So talk a little bit about the horror you're willing to tackle in your films and kind of the
2: the things that you're not. I think definitely as I was starting film in general, I've been finding out, and this goes for filmmakers in any genre, you find out what your filmmaker voice is. And I definitely found out that extreme gore is what I really like. But now that I've had so much experience on it, And I think about it, I mean, I would love to try something else. And Supernatural, I mean, I am terrified of it. I almost don't want to fuck around with that stuff because what if I do something realistic on the shot and then I'll get haunted, like, 10 minutes later on my house, right? Like, it's just a weird feeling because I'm a huge believer in that stuff. Um, Also coming from Mexico, that stuff is almost part of your culture, something that you grow up with, with your family, and stuff you believe uh, believe in, sorry. Um, So I... In the back of my head says, do it. You should totally challenge yourself and make something supernatural that actually doesn't even have gore in it. But it, it terrifies me because I think it applies so much in film that the less you show on screen, the more your imagination will haunt you because you create your nightmares, right? You create what scares you the most. So uh, I don't know. I, th- that's why they scare me, but I'd love to try it one day and put some of my my previous experiences on screen. Let's talk about the film that won. So describe for people who haven't
0: seen it yet, describe what it's about, and also the future, because this is a short film, but you have
2: some bigger plans. Yeah, we definitely do. Well, in short, short words, El Gigante is pretty much Texas Chainsaw Massacre, but with a Mexican twist. Rather than Leatherface, it's a giant cannibal luchador. <laughs> Basically, this family, uh, this Mexican family that live on the border town, they capture immigrants that are crossing the border into the states, and not only do they eat them, but they use their homemade wrestling ring as their entertainment to kill them. The oldest son does the all the killing, who is El Gigante, the most maniac luchador you will ever meet. And the rest, well, I can't spoil it. But, yeah, the bigger plans are short. It's been doing so well. It's, it's been so successful internationally that we've just signed with Raven Banner Entertainment to expand into a feature. Uh, we did that at Montreal and Fantasia. And now we're going to pitch it again at Fantastic Fest at the end of the month in September. So hopefully we will find more uh, production partners and someone will say, take my money and we will make this next year right away. And you were actually represented by two films here. So talk about the feature that you were a part of that screened here on Friday night. That's right. It was Mexico Barrado, which is basically a Mexican anthology with all legends and traditions of Mexico, but turned into horror. So what it is, it's eight Mexican directors who came together and did different segments of different legends and traditions. My segment was Day of the Dead, because I'm a huge fan of Day of the Dead. I had to do that one. Yeah. I don't know if you can talk about it without giving away the twist
0: at the end, but um, describe a little bit about what that segment was.
2: Definitely. Yeah, no, uh, Day of the Dead, Dia de los Muertos, it basically takes place in Border Town. Everything I make is very Tex-Mex, by the way. But yeah, it takes place in Bordertown, and on the night of Day of the Dead, all these women come together on that night who've been abused, raped, you name it. They come together on that night, they disguise themselves as Day of the Dead, and they take revenge on, on those who've, who've abused them before. And they work at a strip club, but the rest is history, you've got to watch it. Do you think because you're a woman filmmaker that you could, you
0: could get away a little bit with... Because the way it starts is it almost seems exploitative of the women, but you get a twist. But do you think that as a female filmmaker, you're able to kind of show some of that and maybe not get as criticized as if a male director might have done that?
2: You know, that's, that's a really good question. I think it goes both ways just in general for a female filmmaker in today's industry. You will have pros and you will have cons, you know, like it's just another obstacle you have to face. You know, an actor didn't show up on set. It's an obstacle you're going to have to face. So being a girl on, uh, in this industry, it's just something I got to deal with, right? I, there's some things I will definitely get away with, and there's some things where I'm going to have to prove myself a little more. You know, I've, I've admitted to it. As for Dia de los Muertos, I think in this case it totally worked, that a girl did it. I I think people would have definitely taken it different maybe if a male director did it. But at the end of the day, my goal is for someone to watch my movies and not know if a chick or a guy made it. I just want them to say, wow, that, that director was great, without knowing if a girl did it. You know, I don't want it to stand out. Oh, I can tell that a female did that. Oh, I can tell a dude totally did that. You know, the girls are naked. A, a dude probably made that. So... I just want people to like my work, you know, for what it is. Yeah. Uh I believe it was at the Q and A you said that you were gonna be working with Eli Roth? Yeah, I met him in person. Uh he was I was so starstruck, I had trouble saying anything to him. I couldn't believe I was he was right in front of me, we were talking. Uh he invited me to his house to, to chat because he watched El Gigante, Day of the Dead, he watched all my shorts. And uh, he really wanted to meet me. So basically, he what he did, he really wanted my team, Luchigor and I to make something else, to really find what my filmmaker voice is, which, you know, it really inspired me. All the advice he gave me, all the, you know, he pointed out things about my films that he thinks I can totally do better at. So I took what he said, and, uh, and I did this latest short called Madre de Dios, which means Mother of God. And definitely this short, I feel I will shock people a lot more than the other ones. It is pretty screwed up little short. And uh, so, yeah, it was my first time really kind of talking with him and having him guide me through, you know, a new way of filmmaking. So I kind of had him inspire me in this new one. So hopefully he will like it and hopefully we can collaborate some more. Yeah.
0: Now, all three of the films you've mentioned tap into, in some way or other, something that's very specifically of Mexican culture. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering, because this came up at the panel discussion,
2: how do you feel Catholicism has impacted you? Well, this last short is totally all about that. It has Santa Muerte, and it's got Antichrist stuff. Like, it is crazy. Uh, But, I mean, ever since a kid, like, Virgin Mary was all over our house. We had statues of her, paintings of her. In Mexican culture, the the church is a lot more graphic. It's a lot more imagery, I find, that it really stays with you. And growing up with that, I always just had those thoughts in my head. Santa Muerte was always something that haunted me when I was a kid. It's basically, it looks like Virgin Mary, but it's a skeleton face. Uh, that's, That's scary. You go to a Mexican church, and... Um, Jesus is usually fully naked in a lot of um, the sculptures. Like it's a lot more greedier imagery. I find that I think it totally inspires me for for all the stuff I make. I, like it's kind of subconsciously in, inspiring me. You know what I mean? It's uh, I don't try to make it as obvious. You know when we when we do our films, but Mexican culture just in general is is so rich that I wanted just continue making sure to have as much of it as possible. Well, it just seems, I was raised Catholic, and yeah. I have
0: Italian and French heritage, and mm-hmm. um, it seems like a lot of really good horror directors, you know, do have this Catholicism in their background one oh. way or the other, and it just seems like a lot of, if you had these Bible stories read to you, there's some really graphic, horrific things that are going on, and it seems to kind of lay a foundation <laughs> No,
2: I totally agree. I completely agree. I'm yeah. No, it goes even my grandma like I I would always even as simple things as I I'd, I'd watch her pray religiously every single night by her little shrine by her bed, but that it, it's just so normal in the culture that you know, as a kid and I left I left Mexico at a young age that for me the transition was very obvious that when I moved to Canada there isn't that you know so yeah I love going back to it and reflecting on it for film and what is
0: making a horror film what does that mean to you do you feel like you need to kind of embrace the darkness or do you want to scare people I mean what what
2: about making a horror film really drives you and attracts you I think in general even as myself as a fan I mean at the end of the day I'm a huge fan as well right I think what, what just makes me love horror so much is you can make an audience react of so many ways. You can have someone at the front line laughing their heads off and someone at the very back is screaming and crying as what they're seeing. I just love how horror can can do that to people. I don't think any genre can do that. Any other genre I mean. Uh, Horror just makes you have so many different feelings. You go to horror festivals and those are the best audiences because the horror fans are so passionate. They're the most passionate fans of any fans that I've ever seen. Like they're the fans that let you know if you suck or not. If your film is not good, they will let you know. If your film is awesome, they will cheer so much when the horrible things are happening on screen. So horror is just, ah, it just has this rewarding feeling when you hear the audience react to it. Whether it's shocking them, grossing them out, making them faint, making so many people walk out pissed off. I've had that happen with Gigante, and I love it. I love pissing people off because it makes them talk about it, makes them think. I, I think that the, as a filmmaker in general, the goal is that I want to make people talk about my film and remember it, whether they liked it or not. If they talked about it, then you impacted them in some way. There's so many movies you watch that you watched and you probably forgot about it the next day. It had nothing to you. So I think if you make people talk about your film, then you're doing, you're doing your job. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you very much for talking with me. You're welcome. Sorry for the long answers. <laughs> thank you so much.
0: Thanks for listening to the KPBS Cinema Junkie podcast from Horrible Imaginings. Tomorrow I'll post the audio from the Sunday evening panel about Edgar Ulmer's 1944 film Bluebeard. The panel featured his daughter, Ariane Ulmer-Sipes, and his biographer, Noah Eisenberg. And coming up in October, I'll have a month of horror podcasts, including one about the first film that people remember scaring them. Till our next film fix, I'm Beth Accomando, your resident cinema junkie. Remember to subscribe to my podcast on iTunes so you don't miss an episode. And check for reviews on Thursdays and interviews on Fridays. And if you haven't already taken a listen to my interview with Miguel Rodriguez about horrible imaginings, I suggest you dig back into the archives and do so now. Thanks again for listening.